where Dave and I plan this year's company holidays. Let's go through the list. Easter, too religious. St. Patrick's Day? Too white. Mother's Day? Way too cisgendered. All of your usual holidays have been canceled this year. But we still have Karl Marx's birthday! <laughs> Need a real reason to party? Find a new job at redballoon.work. The Public Order Emergency Commission released their final report this past Friday, February the 17th. And as we anticipated, it appears that the commission has defended and supported this. In order to ensure the security and continuing stability, the Republic will be reorganized into the first galactic empire for a safe and secure society. This is how liberty dies, with thunderous applause. Under the guise of a safe and secure society, yes, it appears that liberty has been dealt a decisive blow this weekend. Friends, it's a dark day in Canadian history, quite possibly one of the darkest. I was in Ottawa this past Saturday. Several friends and I stood there exactly one year ago when police forces ended the Freedom Convoy with brutish force. So this past Saturday was an emotional day for me, especially with the final report from the POEC coming out on Friday. But as I got to interview those young, brave Save Canada lads, I was reminded of the word of our Lord in Mark 4. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. We will keep fighting, friends. We will keep building. We will keep planting seeds. And God will be faithful to give the growth. It's February 21st. I'm Andrew DiBartolo. That's Matt Halleck. And this is the Liberty Dispatch. Welcome to the Liberty Dispatch, broadcasting across enemy lines into the Canadian culture war. Thank you so much again for joining us. If you could, please interact with our content by subscribing, liking, rating, reviewing, and leaving a comment wherever you're getting our content from. We would encourage you to do that. You can get our content on the FLF Network. That's flfnetwork.com, and that stands for Fight, Laugh, Feast. They also have a wonderful, super very cool handy app where you can get our content on demand as well over there. So we would suggest you do that at your Google, Google app or your Apple app stores, uh, respectively. That way you can get us on demand. Also, you can check out all things Liberty Coalition Canada at libertycoalitioncanada.com. 
Com. That's our handy website. You can go over there, check it all out, our legal analysis, our news and commentary, and our various initiatives as well. Also, be sure, if you would, to sign up to our email uh, list and also to, if you could, please prayerfully consider leaving a donation at the top of the page there, going over to libertycoalitioncanada.com slash donate, or yes indeed scanning that handy qr code at the bottom of the page that helps us continue to build uh this institution and fight for the liberties of canadians and to push back against the insane mainstream media narrative that really led to a lot of the nonsense that we saw take place during this freedom convoy and so much of the horrible information that was spread also if you would like to reach us directly if you would like to just contact us at the podcast be sure to go to mailbag at libertycoalitioncanada.com that's mailbag at libertycoalitioncanada.com which you see there at the bottom of the screen also if you do want to reach out to us um, about giving if you have any questions related to that, give at libertycoalitioncanada.com. And also, we we get so many people reaching out to us about, hey, I want to find a solid church at this time. I want to find a community of believers to get involved with. Can you help me do that? So we can do that, and we do do that. So reach out to us at churches at libertycoalitioncanada.com with those various requests. We do love to see so many people want to get active in that um, in, in those communities, and, and that's really encouraging. Andrew, it's a dark day. Mm -hmm. It is, and, um, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be talking a lot about the Public Order Emergency Commission final report. We actually have two guests who will be joining us on the episode today, two very different guests with very different perspectives and involved in very different ways during the Freedom Convoy to talk about what they saw and to also give commentary about the final report. And so for our audience today, we want to ask you, what were your thoughts on the final report from the Public Order Emergency Commission? And other than saying, I didn't like it, it was a very bad, no good thing. That's correct. We all agree. Specifically, was there something in the report, something that was said either by Justice Rouleau or the response that, that you, you say, this was particularly egregious. This representation or this claim that was made was false. It was inflammatory. You know, what were your thoughts on the actual report and quickly again i'll just say because uh, we want to keep making sure that we're clear about things for uh donations only donations that are made to the analysis shows arm of our, our our work is eligible for a charitable receipt and all those donations have to be made payable to christian week so checks have to be made payable to christian week as our partner in media who is producing our shows and when you go online, it's very easy. You click on analysis shows, any online donations are automatically taken care of. Any e-transfers, you have to make sure you put Christian Week in the comments or the notes. And it's only donations for the analysis shows made to Christian Week that are eligible for a charitable receipt. All other donations to our legal work or advocacy are ineligible for charitable receipts. 
just so we all are clear about that. So speaking about uh, a dark day and 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 an awful segue, thinking about a dark roast, which I'm actually drinking this morning. I'm drinking a delicious <laughs> dark roast. Indeed, as am many I. of you as many of you might know at this point, our friends over at Resistance Coffee have decided to close up shop. Now, this is not because business and support were bad. It's actually the opposite, but it's because responsibilities at church and work have been growing and require more time and energy. The guys over at Resistance, this was a little bit of a side part-time thing, and it continued to grow, but their responsibilities, either serving as a pastor or church or in other jobs, business has been good, has been growing, and so they have decided that they need to wrap up their Resistance Coffee business. So now is your last chance to stock up on delicious coffee before it is gone for good. I highly recommend you head over to resistancecoffee.com slash LCC and place all your orders before March the 2nd. They will be fulfilling all their orders up until March the 2nd. And if you haven't done so yet, if you've been someone who's been drinking terrible coffee and you've been on the fence for a while, make sure you use that slash LCC so you will get 10% off your first and probably last purchase as well at Resistance Coffee. Check out their merch as well. Their shirts are all discounted. Uh, these guys have been good to us at Liberty Coalition Canada for years now. Even before we partnered with them, they were giving a portion of their proceeds to us in support of the work that we were doing. So head over to resistancecoffee.com slash LCC. In fact, as a part of the coalition launching in March, our subscription-based club, anyone who signs up after the coalition goes live, which we'll be announcing in several weeks, for the first few weeks that we are live, people who subscribe and sign up will get a limited run roast, Freedom Fuel. And uniquely, it's roasted by our friends over at Resistance Coffee. It is a Nicaraguan blend that they've never used before. So it's as limited as they come. All the more reason for you to join the coalition and be thankful for our friends over at Resistance Coffee. So that'll be coming soon. You'll get a super limited roast that they are doing for us as a little bit of a final goodbye present and thank you to the work we do. But for now, Head over to resistancecoffee.com slash LCC, get 10% off your first and last order, and make sure you stock up on that coffee before March the 2nd, as believe you me, I am going to do just that. As we said during the lead-in, the Public Order Emergency Commission has revealed, has given us its final report. And we have links to the report. It's in five volumes, and the volumes mm -hmm. are massive, hundreds of pages. Yes. And I've read through not all of it because it's uh, it's, it's a lot it's, of work. It, it's a lot of work, <laughs> and it's a lot it's a lot of fluff. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of propaganda. It's a lot of outright denial of clear testimony and affirming of testimony and witnesses that were debunked. And so it's a difficult read to go through it and say, wait a minute. No, 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 that wasn't the case at all. I know that wasn't the case because that, that particular testimony was flipped on its head. Mm -hmm. um, so we need to, I guess, we'll set it up a bit. We'll do a little bit of history so that we can get to today and give, give the time that's needed. On January 28th, 2022, the first trucks made their way into Ottawa for the Freedom Convoy. 
on February 14th, after two weeks of refusing to meet with a single convoy organizer to discuss the terms of their protest. Not a single elected official would meet with anyone from the convoy to discuss why they were there and what they wanted to see change. Our prime tyrant, Justin Trudeau, invoked the War Measures Act the first time that it wasn't during an actual war or during the kidnapping and killing of political figures. That's what he did. The Public Order Emergency Commission began its public hearings into the invoking of the act on October 13th, 2022, and the hearings concluded on November 28th of the same year. This past Friday, again, February 17th, 2023, exactly one year after the Freedom Convoy protests were crushed by police forces under the authority of the War Measures Act, the POEC submitted its final report. Here is Commissioner Rulo, a liberal appointed judge, with his decision. They wish to exercise their fundamental right to express their political views, and they had a right to do so. Indeed. They However, did. like any large group, there were a diversity of views and intentions among the participants of the Freedom Convoy. Amongst the many who intended to protest peacefully were others who had more sinister goals or who were willing to engage in dangerous conduct to achieve their desired ends. Like the prime the reasons minister the that I discuss in my report, what began as a massive protest evolved into something entirely unpre unprecedented, an occupation nope. of the core of the nation's capital. False. After careful reflection, I have concluded that the very high threshold required for the invocation of the act was met. In particular, for reasons that I discuss in detail in the report, I have concluded that when the decision was made to invoke the act on February 14, 2022, cabinet had reasonable grounds to believe that there existed a national emergency arising from threats to the security of Canada that necessitated the taking of special temporary measures. I do not come to this conclusion easily, as I do not consider the factual basis for it to be overwhelming. <laughs> Reasonable and informed people could reach a different conclusion than the one I have arrived at. Now, so before we hold on, have it, before, now before we, we're going to, we have a lot to say, but before we do, we quickly want to hear the response from our newly crowned dictator. This is what he had to say about this. The work of the commission and everyone involved was very important, not only to better understand what happened a year ago, but to have a roadmap going forward for any future government. Uh-oh. Today, the Public Order Emergency Commission stated that the very high threshold to invoke the Emergencies Act was met. He found that what we experienced last year was a national emergency that threatened the security of Canadians. Our job as a government is always to keep people safe and invoking the Emergencies Act was the necessary thing to do to remove the threat and to protect people. Lawful protests descended into lawlessness, culminating 
in a national emergency. Streets were blockaded in our capital city for weeks, nope. causing serious harm to families and small businesses. The situation was volatile and out of control. The Emergencies Act provided us with more tools to safely bring the illegal blockades and occupations to an end. Let's be clear. We didn't want to have to invoke the Emergencies Act. Oh, yeah, sure. It's a measure of last resort. <laughs> but the risk to personal safety, the risk to livelihoods, those risks were real. There you have it. I, man, I hate to listen to that man talk. I know. You know what? It was originally you from his mouth. And it was a like, longer it was a longer clip. And I'm like, I just how can I get just the necessary garbage out to not have to listen to more than we need to? Um, let me just let, let's here's the basic takeaway from the POEC. These are some of Justice Rouleau's conclusions. Quote, for these reasons, I've concluded that cabinet was reasonably concerned that the situation it was facing was worsening and at risk of becoming dangerous and unmanageable. There was credible and compelling evidence supporting both a subjective and objective reasonable belief in the existence of a public order emergency. The decision to invoke the act was appropriate. I've concluded that in this case, the very high threshold for invocation was met. In my view, there was credible and compelling information supporting a reasonable belief that the definition of threat to the security of Canada was met. Now, Matt, I'm going to I'm going to let you take a big old swing at this because there is much to say and much to comment. But first, this is the kind of mood I am in after this decision. a slime he is a slime <laughs> if he's allowed to go free then something really wrong is going on Kirkland, you are out of order you're out of order you're out of order the whole trial is out of order they're out of order that man that crazy oh that's my mood matt that's my mood today and you can be forgiven for having that mood because I think anybody who's taken time, like there's so much verbiage. There's so, so many words. The report's quite long. Even the executive summary is broken down into three sections that would reading at, you know, a very significant speed that would probably take you a day to read. Right. Um, there's so much information that we have to digest, but I think you can be forgiven for having that um, reaction because what we saw with the the public order emergency commission is we saw a public display of just what took place. And it was clear as we covered it every single day on the program that the government fell well short in the testimonies of meeting its high threshold for the emergencies act. And I want to just read it again, right? Cause this is what a national emergency is in the text of the emergency acts itself for the purposes of this act. A national emergency is an urgent and critical situation of a temporary nature, a seriously 
that seriously endangers the lives, health, and safety of Canadians and is of such a proportion or nature as to exceed the capacity or authority of the province to deal with it, or B, seriously threatens the ability of the government of Canada to preserve the sovereignty, security, and territorial integrity of Canada and that cannot be effectively dealt with under any other Canadian law. So when we're hearing reports, Andrew, from CSIS, from the, the officials there saying, oh, yeah, under the CSIS Act, uh, we clear the, the protests clearly did not meet the thresholds for um, uh, <laughs> for a threat to Canadian sovereignty, security and ter territorial authority. And when we hear from the OPP itself that there was no. Um, real substantial violence or anything threat to uh, lives of Canadian citizens. When we're hearing all this expert testimony that is saying, well, yes, no, 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 it doesn't seem like the invocation of the Emergency Act was required, especially considering uh, the fact that the OPS, the, the Ottawa Police Service, the OPP, the Ontario Police uh, uh, service and then the RCMP had just February 13th developed a plan to end the protests and to disperse the protests that then the Emergencies Act was invoked the day after that right um, that they couldn't even implement that plan that Trudeau said didn't go far enough but it had to admit that he didn't actually read the plan itself um, and that that Brendan Brenda Lucky, who's now disgraced and and uh, you know retire, she resigned. Um, she said she was confident in the plan. So law enforcement at all three levels: the OPS, the OPP, the RCMP. Hey, we have tools in our disposal to disperse this um, disperse this occupation, if you even want to call it that. So that would suggest, Andrew, that. They had the ability to deal with the blockades and the events under other Canadian laws. So if that's the predicate, if that's the threshold that you have to meet to invoke this act, how could Rouleau possibly mm -hmm. come to the conclusion that he yeah, Anyone who was watching our show during the time of the inquiry, every every episode we were covering, we were doing a detailed day-by-day -day analysis of the different exactly. testimonies. So I, I just really quickly, I wrote an article for Christian Week after the hearings were done, as they were still you know <laughs> coming out with their final report. So I just want to touch on a few of the actual instances during the hearings mm -hmm. where we can see... What was going on? So uh, just yeah. just because he here. reads the different conclusion than you yes. did. <laughs> yes, he did. He did. <laughs> yeah. I'm also not a liberal appointed judge. Yeah. Um. In in fairness, so on day seven of the inquiry, Chief Superintendent Carson Party, one of the most senior OPP officers involved in the policing effort during the Freedom Convoy, told commission lawyers that officers quote did not need the Emergencies Act. There was a solution and we reached that solution. In my humble opinion, we would have reached the same conclusion with the plan that we had without the act. Close quote. On day 21, 
Ontario Deputy Solicitor General Mario Di Tommaso was asked if he had public safety concerns about what was happening in Ottawa. He said, quote, no, I was still not seeing any significant serious violent crime concerns at all. I thought that the provincial emergency declaration and the orders that flowed from them were sufficient to assist the police in resolving both Ottawa and Windsor, close quote. On day 22, a document from the Director of Canadian Security Intelligence Service, that's CSIS, David Vigneault, told the federal cabinet, quote, at no point did CSIS assess that the protests in Ottawa or elsewhere constituted a threat to national security as defined by Section 2 of the CSIS Act, close quote. On day 24, Internal Statistics Canada documents revealed, quote, overall, the blocked border crossings appear to have had little impact on the aggregate values of Canadian imports and exports, close quote. On day 26, testimony revealed that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau invoked the act as per the advice of the clerk of the Privy Council, Janice Charest, and not based on a detailed threat assessment of the Freedom Convoy by law enforcement authorities. On day 38, Commission Counsel asked Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino, quote, were you aware that it had been concluded that Section 2 of the CSIS Act was not met? Close quote. Mendicino replied, quote, yes, I was aware that CSIS had concluded that Section 2 under the CSIS Act was not met, I was aware of that fact, close quote. And finally, on day 31, this is the last day of public testimony, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was asked about the evidence from Commissioner Lucky of the RCMP that she had signed off on a plan to enforce and remove the protesters from Ottawa on February 13th, a plan in which she placed her confidence. When asked if this was a plan that Trudeau actually read himself, he responded, quote, I did not see it myself. There it is. You have <laughs> all mean... of these high-ranking <laughs> yeah. police, security, safety officials, mm -hmm. many of whom were on the ground dealing with the actual convoy and the officers and the protesters all saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. There was no viable threat. There was no threat to national security. It wasn't. It, it, it there was. It wasn't the need for it. And on top of it, we had it under control. We had a plan. We were executing. We did not need the act. Period. Which is which, why which is I the thought death this, it was a done over game over. But but you and I, despite that analysis, we always said we thought the outcome of this commission would be what yep. it was. This was a kangaroo court. It was a why? Yeah. Because we understood the nature, the political nature to what was going on in this, that, that Rouleau, despite this appearance of neutrality and um, objectivity, he bent the objective standard of the threshold that needed to be met for the emergency act to the subjective will right. of he 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 heightened the the subjective testimony of ottawa citizens of political actors that would agree with the government and their action over the expert testimonies of those officials that you that you talked about over and over and over again he took his feelings at the end of the day we said it was feelings over objective fact 
And the sad part is that that maintained to the conclusion of the commission, because essentially what Rouleau did at the end was he had a subjective feeling in his heart of hearts that the government met the threshold of the emergency act, despite the fact that the objective data that we have would point to the exact opposite conclusion. Now, I appreciate this this uh, paragraph from the National Post. Uh, we'll link in the descriptions below here. It says, to be fair to Rouleau, he knew he was caught between a rock and a hard place, failed to make a finding and be accused of ducking, or make a finding and get pilloried for stepping outside of his mandate. In the end, he decided to split the difference while finding that the government met the high threshold required based off of his subjective feelings, right? Not the actual text there because he's a liberal judge who reads into law, doesn't actually interpret the actual laws. He noted he did not come to this conclusion easily and did not consider the factual basis to be overwhelming, as we've already seen, while allowing that there is significant strength of argument against reaching the conclusion so again the the benefit of the doubt is given to the government over the citizens and what did he use over and over again if you read the commission he used the limitations clause you think you have that right you don't really have that right we're going to yep. show deference to these political actors it can these be reasonably officials. demonstrated and adjust in order and, blah blah and even, blah even then with the oaks test there's really good legal arguments to say that it doesn't even come close to meeting the threshold of the Oaks test, right? Because, Anyways, it's totally absurd. And we have to understand the thing that is pointed over again that created this organic protest movement. We can't forget this in the history. It was the government changing, heightening the restrictions placed on truckers uh, throughout the pandemic been coming over the border for the first year uh, and a half no problem they were during, essential during, during essential wild workers type back and forth and and, yep. and delta the, no the, problem the worst there. waves of the pandemic the these truckers were coming and going without issue and, and it's praised well, by our government they were praised by our elected yes, officials and it's, it's being well heroes. yes it's well after that where where we have you know, supposed vaccines that are going to help stop the spread. It's it, well, we're outside of Delta. We're we're already dealing with uh, you know the beginnings of Omicron. You know, um, it's after the worst of the pandemic that the government decided to change its policies to threaten the the job security, the 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 um, the supply lines, all those things by invoking a vaccine mandate on cross-border travel for, yes, even truckers who were exempted from that for the majority of the height of the of the the um, what they the did pandemic. with all their heroes. That's what they did with the nurses who were heroes. Yeah. Oh, sorry, now you got to get the jab. Now you're <laughs> yeah. you've gone from we, being a hero serving yeah. at the worst part of the pandemic, supposedly, yeah. to now being a selfish conspiracy theorist yeah. because you won't let us put experimental Cause, medicine cause we, in you. Because we bought a bunch of these uh, vaccines from our friends, and now we got to use them. <laughs> I really quickly want to just touch on the whole subjective objective thing because our, yes. our audience might be thinking, "What's that about?" Let me. Mm -hmm. I, I want to give an analogy here to help you understand where Justice Rouleau's decision comes from. 
So th this would be the analogy. Suppose my child comes up to me in the middle of the night and says, Dad, there's a monster in my closet and I'm scared. I can't sleep. I'm, I'm shaking. I'm, I, I'm having nightmares. There's a monster in my closet. Um, you need to go set my closet on fire and kill him. Kill the monster by setting it on fire. And I say, hold on. Let me go. Let me go look inside the closet here. Let's see what's going on. And so I come into my child's bedroom. I turn on the light. I bring my flashlight. I open up the closet door. I rifle through the clothes and the toys and everything. And I show my son clearly, objectively, there is no monster in your closet. We can see here all the evidence supports it. You don't see it. You don't hear it. I've moved everything out of the way. The lights are on. There is no monster. I'm not going to set your closet on fire. And then my son says, no, 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 but I, I am scared. I feel scared. I believe with all of my heart there is a monster in the closet, and I'm convinced of it. Daddy, set my closet on fire. In this analogy, the federal government is the child. Justice Rouleau, in a sense, is the dad who's trying to, here's the evidence that's been weighed. And the invoking of the Emergencies Act is setting the closet on fire. Where our federal government, despite the overwhelming objective evidence that there was no threat and the invoking of the act wasn't needed, but because, according to Justice Rouleau, but they really were scared and they really were afraid that it could get violent and they really believed it was a violent occupation, yeah, it's okay that they set the closet on fire. That's what it's come to, that the, yeah. the, the subjective belief of the federal government that it could be violent, which, mm -hmm. listen, between me, me you, you and me and our audience, they didn't actually believe that anyways. No. They just <laughs> wanted to set the closet yeah. on fire. That yeah, was it. They, they didn't believe that there was danger. That's just what they told us. That was the mm -hmm. spin because yeah. they wanted to crush Canadians who would mm -hmm. dare be a dissenting voice uh, mm -hmm. against the tyrannical overreach and mandates of our of our state yeah and that's that's something that jumps out to me and just my going through it as far as i've been able to go through andrew is there's not a lot of there there there's a lot of talk about potential threats right. perceived harms worries about potential ex escalation but at every point the objective on the ground data actually dispels that kind those kind of concerns so again it's but that's critical theory this is this is <laughs> yes this is this, this is the, neo the greatest conspiracy theory, theory ever yeah it's 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 that it doesn't matter what you actually see mm -hmm. the issue is and, and this is at the heart of deconstruction right the heart of mm -hmm. the heart of deconstructionism coming out of france is mm -hmm. and the heart of critical theory is not what does the book actually say it's yeah. what does the author mean or imply by what he doesn't say between the lines? That's critical yes. theory. It's a, and that becomes critical race theory, critical, critical gender theory, critical whatever theory. Mm -hmm. It's not so much what was, but what, what were the, the felt experiences and the subjective mm -hmm. reality and what wasn't actually there? Yeah. That's the real issue, not, you can, not the truth. You can actually see, so it's easy if you know what to look for when you know the Marxist, Gnostic, Hermetic religion and their 
buzzwords. When you know what to look for, when you understand their philosophy, you can see that clearly in Rouleau's decision because he talks about marginalized communities. Mm -hmm. He talks about... Um, Do you tell we started the video? We didn't play the clip. We didn't play the clip, but at the very start of him actually saying, he's like, I want to acknowledge that this meeting is being held upon the historic land of this indigenous group. Like he starts so off that's post colonial theory. Exactly. By that's, saying we're on stolen land, just so we yeah. get it out of the way. I want to make sure every See, child it, matters. We're on stolen land. Yeah. You need it, to play that card. No, exactly. Exactly. So he presupposes neo-Marxist, uh, cultural Marxist theories throughout his judgments and you can see that in praxis by him doing a post-colonial uh piece of praxis which is you know doing the land acknowledgement so that's the thing that people have to understand this has so been imbibed by canadian culture and especially elites in in every sphere and in every institution that it just comes out their fingertips like this this is an absurd decision that really should I mean, he's a retired judge sitting in on the commission. There's not a lot of legal standing, all those things, whatever. It's more of a political process than a legal process. With all, I mean, his legacy, if we live in a sane society, will be tarnished forever for the folly of this decision. And him trying to kind of massage the outcome of the situation it doesn't actually it doesn't make him look more measured it actually no, it makes doesn't. him look more ridiculous it's like because... what trudeau said in the clip we didn't we didn't want to it's like let's be clear we didn't want to i'm like who believes that yeah, That's, no, no. Exactly. we don't actually believe you exactly. when you say that we don't all believe right. you Jeffrey all right andrew uh we gotta move on yeah, but because we're, 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 we're gonna do some concluding thoughts toward the end we have some we have some yes. friends we need to talk to yes we do well. help us to just digest this we yeah. have a lot of thoughts a lot yeah. of feelings but before yeah. but before we before we bring <laughs> in our first friend on the episode we have to talk about some other friends at rocklink investment partners Here's a question. Are you comfortable speaking with your financial advisor about your faith and how your investment should align with biblical principles and truth? Or are you ridiculed for expressing your beliefs and concerns with the direction of our country? We've been talking about our friends at Rocklink Investment Partners for a while now, and one of the main reasons we recommend their service to our audience is that they share our Christian faith and worldview. At Rocklink, they're concerned with the same issues that we are, they're willing to have an open and honest conversation with you to put you on the right track to achieve your goals while mitigating many of the risks surrounding us. Ask yourself, are you getting that level of service and alignment with your current financial institution, or are you just another brick in the woke rainbow wall? Email Rocklink, info at rocklink.com or visit them at www.rocklink.com. That's link with the C. And when you reach out to them, oh, I'm sure they have a few things to say about the final report of the Public Order Emergency Commission. And you'll be pleasantly surprised to know that they probably agree with your assessment and are equally as disappointed with what this means for the future of our country and where we are right now. Andrew, there's so much to digest when it comes to this final report. So to help us 
respond to the findings, the, the, the final report of the POEC, and make sense of what's going on. We want to bring a friend of the show on, uh, and that friend is our friend Tabitha Ewart. Uh, Tabitha has a law degree from the University of British Columbia and was called to the Bar of Ontario in 2018. Until recently, she worked for a political action organization and is now in a private practice. She lived in Ottawa at the time of the convoy, and her office was surrounded by trucks. Every day she would walk among the convoy to observe and talk to the people. Let's bring Tabitha in now. Uh, Tabitha, you uh, you have been a watchdog. Um, you have been someone who covered the, the, the events thoroughly and um, you have some on-the-ground experience coupled with your legal knowledge, and that's why we wanted to have you on the program. So thank you so much for coming on and discussing these very important things with us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was being able to live in Ottawa during the convoy was something I could have never predicted would have been such a big moment, I think, in Canadian history and in my life personally. So I'm, I'm always happy to talk about it. So we want to kind of, before we get into the discussion about the report with you, which I know you can give us some very good insight on, we just wanted to play a quick clip of our deputy prime fascist, as Andrew likes to call her, Christia Freeland, uh, and her discussion on the decision to freeze bank accounts um, uh, surrounding the convoy. And this is what she, she had to say for herself. Um, yeah, so look, when it comes to the financial measures, I think the most important thing uh, to start with is, as the Prime Minister just said, Justice Rouleau's conclusion, which was, and I'm going to read it, um, it was a powerful tool to discourage participation and to incentivize protesters to leave. I am satisfied that it played a meaningful role in shrinking the footprint of the protests and in doing so made a meaningful contribution to resolving the public order emergency. That is his broad conclusion on the economic measures. It's what we believed at the time and I'm really glad that having looked at this so carefully, Justice Rouleau agrees. I would also add that what was so important for us in putting in place these economic measures was our overriding objective, of course, was to end the illegal blockades and occupation. It was to do so without violence, without anyone being hurt. And the economic measures were a tool that really helped make that happen. So as someone who was on the ground, Tabitha, maybe you could give us some perspective, uh, not only on the situation, but you can also uh, give us your thoughts on uh, Deputy Prime Minister uh, Chrystia Freeland's comments there as well. I, I just think she, she oh, wow, that, that's a lot to go through in, in, a, in a quick moment like that. But what, what she has never admitted, what they've never faced, and, and what I haven't seen come out in the report at all, I, I've only read, um, I'm, I'm making my way through the report right now, but the, the ramifications of going after the bank accounts of freezing assets were dramatic. Like there were runs on the banks in Canada. It undermined the confidence in Canada's financial institutions. And, 
And that actually had a really dramatic impact far beyond the convoy. Like um, my, my dad is a businessman and he talked about, you know, that he, he knew people in the business world who, who didn't care about COVID restrictions, didn't care about the convoy. But when they eroded the trust of the financial institutions, that's when they started talking about, do we need to get out of Canada? Because if the government can just decide that political opponents um, can be gone after by by freezing their assets, by you know going to the banks, that creates a level of uncertainty that that is going to be really hard for Canada to overcome in the future. And the uh, the claim that by doing so, they were able to, and their goal was to avoid violence or things you know things <laughs> becoming violent um i, I would the, i mean clearly violence was coming from one side so if that was the goal if the goal in freezing the bank accounts was so that it wouldn't have to turn violent then in many this is just another among many ways when our federal government completely failed at their job and fumbled the ball over and over again and andrew the interesting point i know before we got on we were just talking about this um there was a lot of talk about foreign interference being a very strong predicate for the invocation of the Emergency Act. But in going through um, the commission report itself, the only foreign interference that I could really see that was substantial was that of the pressure being put on our federal officials starting February 9th with the blockade at uh, Windsor and the Ambassador Bridge, because it's at that point where American officials uh, like Pete Buttigieg, um, uh, Steve, uh, uh, Deese, who's the Brian Deese, who's the head economic advisor to uh, to Joe Biden, they start amping up the pressure on our federal officials. It's in that context that it, two days later, three days later, um, Freeland calls an emergency meeting of all the head executives in the in in the big banks in Canada, and they come up with their strategy, their plan on how to deal with this situation. And she uses the the fact that the Biden administration was putting pressure on Freeland and Trudeau saying, hey, this could really affect our relationship between the United States and, and Canada as it pertains to our economic relationship, that that is really what pushed. It wasn't anything that was happening on the ground. None, actually, people were starting to disperse. Blockades were being disrupted at this point you know all these things were actually going to a more peaceful resolution to the situation but it was this these economic considerations that really put the pressure on the feds uh so i thought that was just really interesting that, that the real foreign interference was not this support supposed russian disinformation or anything like that it was actual pressure being placed by the biden executive branch on the Canadian federal government that led them to take these drastic steps, despite what was happening on the ground. Um, that was really interesting to me anyways. Well, uh, well you, you got to get the timeline right on that. That's really important. Yeah. The Windsor border blockade was, uh, was removed before the emergency powers got called. Oh, yes, the emergency sure. powers had nothing to do with the blockades at the border. It had everything to do with the convoy in Ottawa. And so you might you know, have different thoughts about the, the blockade at the border than you do with the convoy of Ottawa. They're completely separate protests, very different in nature and in character and what they're trying to accomplish. The convoy came to Ottawa 
because that is the seat of our government. That is yeah. where we are supposed to be able to, to express our concerns, to, to tell our government. If you believe there's any sort of communication between the government and the people, it needs to take place in Ottawa. And it yeah. does. When I lived in Ottawa, so I lived in Ottawa for about five years, on any given Tuesday, you would have some sort of protest. I used to joke with my colleagues that's kind of how I knew what countries were at war because, you know, there would be a protest about, uh, you know, from, from the Libyans, from the Iranians, from, you know, uh, the Fulangang. Like, there were so many protests that happened on a regular basis because Ottawa is the place where those protests are supposed to happen. The convoy very appropriately showed up in Ottawa. Um, and I just think that's, that's drastically understated. And then just one more note, um, because I'm passionate about this stuff. Um, do you, you talked about peaceful there, and there's actually a line in the report that said, you know, that the protests kept peaceful, and then it goes, well, at least not physically violent, right? Because their idea of peace is not the absence of physical violence. Their idea of peace is an ideological conformity to, to a narrative, to an idea, and, and in the very existence of people who, you know, whether correctly or incorrectly thought things about the vaccine, um, you know, that it was dangerous or that it was uh, experimental or whatnot, the very fact that those people existed was a danger to the peace. Um, and that's just, that's just a, a completely, you know, totalitarian view of, of what peace actually means. Mm -hmm. This was something that the police commissioner brought up during the inquiry was what is violence? And he was he was pressed on was it actual real physical violence or was it people that they felt that it was violent, a subjective understanding of violence, which is a concerning part of the report. As as we read earlier in the episode, the commissioner said, Justice Rouleau said that he believes that it met both the subjective and the objective belief that there was a threat that it was credible what well, that's that's pretty scary stuff that they could say oh it was subjectively they really if they really really believe it if you really really believe it then there's actually a threat um what are your tabitha give us some thoughts on so you, you talked about that but give us some of your other thoughts on what you've read so far in the report um yeah, that, that, that's particularly concerning or that has struck you as being something that we need to talk about that needs to be addressed in this final report. Yeah, I, I think I think the convoy is a really complicated topic. Like, so uh, living through it in those weeks was quite was quite an experience. And, and I do remember kind of getting to a point near the end of how does this end? What, what does an end to the convoy look like? Because at that point, Trudeau had dug in his heels. He was not going to come and talk to the truckers. He was not going to give in. And politically, it, it would have been the end of his career. Um, maybe that, that, I mean, that is a good thing, but, but that would have, that was the situation. He backed into a corner and he had no choice but to dig his heels in. Um, and then, and of course, the the trucker had no choice but to be like, we came here for a reason and we want to, you know, and they kept the character of it very peaceful, very good. I, I stand by the character of the convoy 100%. So I, I'm sympathetic to the, you know, the police and to those in charge of, well, what are we supposed to do? Are we just supposed to live with trucks in Ottawa for, for all eternity? Like, how do we end this? Um, and, and I think that's, um, I think that's, that was a really difficult question. And it's one that I just... 
I'm not seeing the report really struggle with, which how much of the responsibility was on Trudeau for, for his reaction from the very beginning. I mean, uh, he does kind of talk about the unfortunate nature of Justin Trudeau's comments, but I mean, you really have to go back to the 2021 election and him, you know, making that election be a war against the unvaccinated. And then his comments as the convoy came in, you know, the fringe minority comments that got well publicized. But every step of the way, if Trudeau had come and talked to the truckers, I think we would have had a very different reaction. I do think the truckers would have left. At least some of them would have left if he just came and talked to them. And the report doesn't really deal with that. What they do say is that the Alberta protests, that they tried to talk to them and that that didn't work. But again, that's a different protest than what was happening in Ottawa. So you just, how does this resolve? Well, put some of that responsibility on the government, not just on the truckers. Well, and and that is an extraordinarily important point because in going through the executive summary, Tabitha, it's interesting that they point out in on February 11th that they actually had a really good negotiation, what they put in brackets as a breakthrough with the convoy in Ottawa, that they had come to Tom Marazzo, a friend of the program, led the discussions. They had come to an understanding that they were going to shrink the size of the protest and that they were going to move um, the trucks to even closer to Parliament in kind of a easier to manage situation on Wellington and everything. And literally a day later, they removed 106 vehicles in good faith because Jim Watson, Mayor Jim Watson of Ottawa, agreed to come to the table. That was part of the agreement. So you actually have, far from the convoy being unreasonable in their demands, you actually have um, evidence that had the government ever came to the table in a diplomatic way, had they ever wanted to hear the concerns of Canadian citizens, that you actually have evidence that the convoy would have dispersed. They came for a reason, um, like you said, because of political calculations. Our federal government never came to the table, never wanted to have these discussions, never had bona fide, good faith um, commitment to resolving the issues. But immediately, even before the convoy ever arrived in Ottawa, they used attack lines, they used inflammatory language to heighten the situation. So much so that Rouleau in the in the report has to acknowledge that, yes, there was a lot of untrue things swirling in, in the legacy media as it pertains to the convoy. And yes, the government did a lot of damage in escalating the situation. And realistically, the despite his conclusion, he even admits that there was so much incompetence. Uh, in, in in all the various levels of government that that really heightened the situation to the point where the EA was even remotely plausible to be considered. So I think that's those are important things to cons- consider as well. Yeah, I, I think another I, like the number one thing that I talk about when I talk about the convoy is you have to understand Ottawa. Ottawa is a mm-hmm. is a very unique city. Ottawa has about a million people, and they are scattered over a sprawling area. I, I don't remember how big it is, but basically there was a bunch of little cities that all amalgamated into one city. So 
it's a million people, but it's not a million people tightly together. The downtown core of Ottawa. So I, I my office at the time was three blocks from Parliament. Um, I lived, you know, what is definitely considered outside of downtown. And it took me about 15 minutes to drive into work, right? So we're, we're talking about a downtown core that is actually really small. So A, if, if all the trucks did just descend on Ottawa, like it could have, it could have easily shut it down. But that's not what happened. What happened was the trucks were largely along Wellington Street and then some of the strides, side streets, Kent, Metcalf, um, uh, all, all the way around there. I could always drive into work. I never had an issue. My, my office was three blocks away from Parliament and I never had an issue of driving into work. The only time I had any issues is I had a, a police stop uh, in the last days where I had to talk to a cop before I got to my office. The, the trucks never blocked access. Uh, to those buildings. Now, there were certain areas that it was harder to get to, uh, but I don't know of any area where it was impossible to get to um, other than Parliament itself. But even then, they kept a line open on Wellington because of emergency vehicle use. Um, so when people talk about the convoy, you know, shutting down the city of Ottawa, it, it not not really in the sense that you could drive around, you could get around, businesses could be open. And, and um, what was very interesting at the time was uh, there was restaurants like Tim Hortons and Subway got the best business of their lives um, because they, they didn't require the vaccine passport and, um, and, and so people could go in there. It was the sit-down restaurants that still were uh, legally required to do the vaccine passport. Those restaurants lost a ton of business because nobody would come downtown because of the convoy and the convoy couldn't go to those restaurants. Um, the other big thing with the businesses is the Rideau Mall is a big mall in Ottawa and it shut down. Um, I'm sympathetic to, you know, you have a big protest outside. Uh, are you worried about safety? I, th I think they could have opened at some point during the convoy and I think they would have done a lot of business. The hotels did a ton of business. So Ottawa in the downtown would have had different experiences with it, uh, depending on you know where you worked, what you did, um, but it, it didn't shut Ottawa down. That's not exactly accurate to say. Yeah, yeah. No, shout out, shout out to sure. Three Brothers Shawarma, by the way, on Rideau <laughs> Street that stayed open the whole time. I remember being there during the convoy inside Three Brothers and they were they had music on and people were dancing and jumping maskless without showing their papers. So <laughs> if you're in Ottawa and you love your country, please, please go get go go eat at Three Brothers Shawarma. They have a bunch of locations. Uh, it's interesting you point out the businesses because I know a number of businesses. There were some online groups in they closed down in solidarity against the truckers. So they made it a point to say so much so do we despise this protest that we're going to close our business in solidarity, which is something that the legacy media didn't cover. It also came out during the, the hearings and the inquiries that it was the Ottawa police services that shut down streets. They're the ones that made it so that streets couldn't be accessed. There was always a vein available for emergency vehicles. Uh, so you're right for people who are actually there on the ground, trying to understand what was going on. It's a much different picture than what we've been told, both in legacy media and even what they're trying to communicate through this final report. It, it wasn't like that at all, really. Yeah. That being said, the honking, the honking was a lot. They were asked, right? When they were, they when they, did, when they oh, were yeah, pressed, oh, they oh, said, okay, fine, we're not going to do it, right? They agreed. Yeah, I, I had to work. I was in court like the, the first couple of days of the convoy of the week and uh, I had eight hours of honking and I had a headache. But yeah, I think it's really important to note that when the court gave the injunction, 
the truckers stopped. Yeah. Um, the truckers, and that's the thing is like, there's a lot of like potential for violence or potential for things to go mm-hmm. wrong. But we have to talk about what evidence we actually have, which the evidence we actually have, like you were pointing out, Matt, was them coming to the table and being reasonable with the city. We have the evidence of any time there was any allegation of wrongdoing, they reacted to put it right. When there, when there was there was the uh, the tomb of the unknown soldier, they they set up a guard to make sure no one was doing dumb stuff there. When someone said that their Terry Fox, you know, had a Canadian flag on him, they made sure that he was kept uh, at the statue was preserved. When the homeless shelter said that they were harassed, they flooded the homeless shelter so that the homeless shelter had to turn away food. Um, like this is the character of the convoy. When the injunction came, they stopped honking. Like you can't like at what point do you start to say like oh the potential for this is matched up with the overwhelming body of evidence of what was actually going on on the streets and and then of course i also need to say like what was else was going on was every morning we were meeting in parliament hill and singing hymns and praying yep. that was the character of mm-hmm. this protest I, I, um, yep that's right groups on and not just not just like there were multiple groups mm-hmm. i have videos of of, yeah. of us standing around in a circle singing hymns and praying for all of this and that was happening every day yeah uh, it's it's very and, different than what we're being told and that comes out in the report when you read it rulo's struggling with this tension he kind of wants to make it seem like it's a violent right wing extremist protest but he he admits over and over and over and over again that it's an organic protest that there was a bunch of different people who were all there for various different reasons. And the central concern of people, it wasn't to overthrow the government of Canada. That's idiotic. He, he doesn't even claim that, but it was overwhelming concern with the present state of civil liberties in Canada, as it pertains to the continuing COVID lockdowns and mandates. And Tabitha, we were talking before we got on, you were talking about just some of the presuppositional problems with the report itself, that it never ever thinks for a second that that those could have been inappropriate breaches of Canadian freedom. So maybe you can tease that out a little bit for our listeners. Yeah, I, I would say that on the part of many in the convoy, their political solutions were, let's say, not sophisticated. Um, they, they're, you know, the MOU was well taught, you know, well publicized and talked about. Uh, is is not really a document that makes any sense legally or politically. Um, but I think underrated is the fact that they pulled that MOU during the convoy. That was not what the convoy stood for. Um, and there were just many who wanted to decide that's what the convoy stood for. Um, so so on, on that side, you know, you have some issues, but then you go to the other side and you read through this report and you see just this, this overwhelming like desire to defend the lockdowns. Um, and, and this is something like, cause I've, I've d- done some work in the past on different, you know, of the uh, church lockdown cases. And, and, and what I'm looking for from the courts right now is just, can you even admit that it's possible for the government to have gone too far or to have done something incorrectly, to have not considered religious freedom or not considered the, you know, the right to protest. And, and you see a very much a reluctance on the part of the courts, um, in which, you know, given that this is a retired judge, I think is all part and parcel of a reluctance to even criticize anything about the restrictions. And so at one point, 
in the report, he, he, he's kind of getting that like, okay, people did have legitimate hardships during COVID, you know, and, and there, and then he says like there were the rules that were sometimes, you know, hard to understand, but then he puts right in brackets right away. Not that there was anything wrong with the rules. The rules were fine. It was just people's reactions to them that caused a problem. And, and that really just bleeds to the whole thing of it's, we can never put the mirror on the government. We can never put the mirror on Justin Trudeau or on the pr premiers across this country who, who, who pursued devastating policies that, that wrecked our economy, that, that wrecked havoc on the mental health of Canadians, that trampled on civil liberties, that trampled on the, on the ability for the church to publicly gather and worship. We can never put a mirror up to them and say, hey, you've done something wrong. The mirror only goes at the convoy and says, you know, there was, you know, that someone danced on the tomb of the unknown soldier. That's the only focus and the only criticism. And that's so a this, huge problem. This this leads well into this question that we want to ask you, Tabitha. And you're, you're not a prophet nor the daughter of a prophet. We know that. <laughs> so, or maybe, maybe, maybe we don't. I don't know how you would self-identify, but I'm going to say you are neither a prophet nor the daughter of a prophet. What does all of this mean going forward? What does this mean for our country? And, and I guess in, in two kind of two sides to that question, one would be what is what about this is concerning regarding the future of our country? And then if you were to put all your chips on red, what do you think this will actually look like now, whether it's legally, legislatively, socially? What, what is this going to what will this mean for our country and what is concerning about what this will mean for our country? I, I think one of the main issues in Canada um, right now is is that two people are looking at the same event, are looking at the convoy, and they're just seeing drastically different things. Um, you know, and, and that was one of the reasons why I was so vocal when the convoy was happening is because I, I needed people to see what was actually going on in Ottawa. Because, you know, the media looks at it and they say dangerous and they say January 6th and, you know, scary words, which did not match the reality on the ground. And, and so one of the things that I, I've I said this, I said this even to the truckers that I, I had friendships with on, on the last night, and I, I said it again to other friends repeatedly. I really think the number one thing that we need to be doing in order to right this ship is to be talking to those who disagree with us. And that's a very difficult thing because there is such antagonism. But if we don't bridge that gap, if we don't show them what we see, then they are never going to see it. And they're going to elect Justin Trudeau again. And, and this, you know, who knows what happens from here on out. But I, I really think the where my optimism lies for this country is not in this report. It's not in Parliament. Um, it's not even in Pierre Polyev. My optimism is coming from we had more people wake up because of the emergency powers. We had more people wake up in COVID and say, wait a second, politics matters. We need to be doing something. And that I think is where the, the real power and the real change can happen. If, if they cannot clamp down on the narrative like they did during COVID um, and they can't and they and they can't control the way people view the world, then they will lose their power. And so that's where a lot of my optimism will lie. I, I don't I'm not a fortune teller. I'm not going to say what's going to go on from here, but that's where my optimism is. Mm -hmm. So Tabitha, the, the, kind of your comments there and the, the previous question before bring a question to my mind. Uh, we talked to uh, lawyer Bruce party on, on the mm -hmm. show. And I think it gets to what you're talking about. This, this insane bending over backwards to show deference to political officials 
in opposition to Canadian civil rights. And Bruce was talking about in the British common law tradition, that was the absolute opposite is it was the judges and the legal professionals who were so zealous to protect Canadian rights that you didn't even need a written constitution, but they were going to stand so firmly for the rights of the everyday citizen that they were going to be in opposition, uh, you know, a combative opposition to the predilections of government and government overreach. But how that the mentality has totally switched in in our legal system where even on the thinnest of evidence, right? You, you know, the fact that Rouleau can say, well, reasonable people could come to a completely different conclusion. You know, the facts of, of the case don't really overwhelmingly justify the invocations of the act, but I say that they do, even though they don't meet the actual legal standards as anybody who can just read would, would understand. So I, maybe you could talk about the precedence of this decision because he he on the thinnest grounds possible said that the this invocation of the never before used emergencies act was justified by trudeau the trudeau regime despite the evidence on the ground despite the fact that the blockades were dispersed before its invocation despite the fact that people were clearing out of ottawa there was there was good faith negotiations happening the the rcmp literally just had a plan with the opp and ops put in place on february 13th that they were going to uh, <laughs> act upon Despite all of that, this president has been set in this case that damned be the facts, the government was right in doing this. It, does this not make it easier logically in the long run for the government to invoke the EA on those really, really thin lines? And is that not very dangerous to Canadian civil liberties? Uh, well, just start off with this isn't a legal decision. So like mm -hmm. precedent in the legal sense doesn't really apply. I just want to be sorry, the lawyer. Okay. Needs to yes, no, details. that's good. Um, uh, but uh, in terms of like, so it, I, I, I think it's got to be a political calculation for anyone in the future. And and that's, again, why I think it's so important that the people are speaking out against this, that that there is a political backlash, which I think there was. I mean, the fact that Trudeau had to take back the Emergencies Act before it got voted on in the Senate, I think he was worried about how that vote was going to go in the Senate. I, I don't think it was a foregone conclusion that that he had control there. Um, so I, I think they're, you know, what, whether they'll do it again um, or not, I think largely depends on the backlash they face this time. And, and I'm I'm less concerned about an inquiry report than I am about, you know, do you remember that next time there's an election? Do you remember this is what that government did? Um, because I, I think otherwise, if it does become easy, um, if it does become every time there's a political protest, you know, the government can just start freezing bank accounts, um, then Canada's stability is 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 not going to last very long. Um, like even just see the the unrest around the world, even with the sanctions being done against the Russian oligarchs, like these the when you mess with with the financial security we have you create a lot of instability and that can have humongous ramifications um across the world and that's again just going back to freeland's comments at the beginning she's like oh we needed to do it to go after this group well did you consider the cost did you consider what you were doing to canada's economic security um because to me it doesn't look like they did and and i i'm more concerned about that than i am about them going after the individual truckers
if if your question is does our federal government make wise decisions and are they are they considerate of the economic consequences and fallout of their decisions the answer is a definitive no i mean that that's clear no they're not they're not wise with their money or with mm -hmm. our money and they don't particularly care about the consequences of it those are my words not tabitha's those are i'll i'll, I'll own that well, she might feel the same way but i'll but i'll i'll own it it's um, it's also interesting andrew that our government can take measures unforeseen in, in human history to stop the spread of a, a virus that just absolutely destroys the Canadian economy and leads to all these problems. That's apparently justified and not a huge issue. But the second that Canadian citizens push back against government overreach, all of a sudden they're very concerned urgently concerned about what that will do to the GDP. I think it was all, it was all the gross, French toast. It yeah. was all the French toast yeah. that they were cooking in the streets of Ottawa. Yeah. It was all the Domino's pizza, all the free hats and hand warmers. Oh, that was man. the problem. Tabitha, oh. thank you so much for, uh, for joining us on the dispatch. Your insight and your thoughts are helpful. And I'm sure um, are, are, are beneficial to our audiences. Mm -hmm. We're all trying to make sense of, this report and reflecting back on the events of this last year. So we're, uh, we're thankful that you've taken the time to join us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Was, it was really good to chat with Tabitha about the decision to freeze bank accounts, talking about finances. One of the things that we saw coming out of the freezing of bank accounts was people thinking about their money and their investments, diversifying, buying precious metals, investing in cryptocurrency, maybe getting out of, the banks. And so we want to talk to you about our friends over at Bull Bitcoin. Born out of the desire to separate money from the state, because boy, oh boy, is that needed today. Bitcoin epitomizes freedom money, an uncensorable network programmed around digital scarcity, where the individual is in full control and accountable for his own property. Bull Bitcoin, Canada's most trusted Bitcoin exchange since 2013 is a 100% self-funded company led and operated by incorruptible activists for individual liberties and freedom. At Bull Bitcoin, security and privacy are a priority. Customers' funds are transferred directly to their Bitcoin wallet in their own possession. With Bull Bitcoin, you never run the risk of losing your money. You own the money. Sign up at mission.bullbitcoin.com slash LCC and get started with your accounts creation today. Contact Bull's best in the business customer support team at any point to request assistance throughout the process. Take control of your money. Mission.bullbitcoin.com slash LCC. Can I just so Matt, one of the key locations where protests were taking place was at the Ambassador Bridge. There were lengthy sections in the final report from the POEC about Windsor and the Ambassador Bridge. So we have a friend from Windsor who loves the Lord and who witnessed what happened in Windsor and in Ottawa as well. And that's Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron is the lead pastor at Harvest Bible Chapel and fellow for church leadership of the Ezra Institute. Aaron hosts the Leadership Now podcast on our Fight, Laugh, Feast network. You need to subscribe to his podcast and listen. Aaron, the last couple episodes have been real bangers. And so we keep pointing people to listen to your stuff. It's very good. He and his wife, Susie, have been married since 1995. Together, they have five adult children, 
all of whom have come to faith in Christ and serve him in church ministries. And this is slightly outdated because there are a couple grandbabies as well since the last time we interviewed you. So congratulations, Grandpa Aaron, and thank you for joining us on the Liberty Dispatch. It's great to have you. Well, thank you, guys. I hope I don't uh, look too much older now that I'm a grandpa. But uh, yeah, it is true. We have um, one on the ground and one in the oven, so to speak. And uh, we're, we're really loving the little guy. Um, his name's Valor. And then we have a, a granddaughter that's uh, percolating. And uh, she's, she's supposed to enter the world uh, in June. So we're pretty excited about that. Praise God. Well, to take from uh, to take from Dr. Seuss and the oven category, the oven analogy, a cake is a cake, no matter how baked it is. <laughs> There's always a cake. Yeah. So we're, part of why we uh, part of why I wanted to have you on the show. It, well, one of one of the reasons is we always appreciate your insight and your worldview analysis and your ability to approach these things from a Christian perspective that's thoughtful, that helps people to make sense of what's going on in the world. Because there are a lot of people who live in Windsor and a lot of people who know what's going on that we really don't trust what they say. So that's the first thing. The second thing is because, as we said, you you witnessed what happened in Windsor and in Ottawa and you live in Windsor. That's where your church is located. So I wanted to read you a portion from the Public Emergency, Public Order Emergency Commission their find their kind of final report and the analysis and what they said about what happened in Windsor. And so this is a couple different sections I've put together. This is what uh, Commissioner Rulo said. Ambassador Bridge was sometimes only partially blocked and other times fully blockaded. However, throughout this period, commercial traffic was at a standstill. The province of Ontario also took action on February 11th. In addition to supporting the injunction application, it declared that an emergency existed under the Emergency Management and Civil Protection Act, the EMCPA. It used its powers under that law to give police additional authorities to remove blockades. On the morning of February 12th, there were approximately 500 protesters. By the afternoon of February 12th, however, the number of protesters had increased enough to outnumber police and police observed mounting aggression. Intelligence collected by police following the clearing of the blockades reflected that there were continued threats to the bridge and other locations in Windsor. In some cases, these threats materialized. So what are your thoughts on these words? There were some things asserted there by Justice Rouleau about the... the the temperature of what was going on around the Ambassador Bridge, the materializing of threats, the nature of it being a blockade. He says that more than once. What are your thoughts on these words from the final report? Sure. Well, you know, the Bible talks about establishing everything based upon eyewitness testimony. Um, obviously, in the Ten Commandments, there's a prohibition against perjuring yourself in court because uh, eyewitness testimony is really, really important. And one of the broad concerns I've had during the media coverage of Ottawa, the media coverage of Windsor, this may apply to Coots, Alberta as well, is that you have all kinds of people sharing their opinions on it and adjudicating on a matter they never actually saw. So I can just tell you what I saw. I think the report is accurate. 
when it acknowledges that it was not a full blockade. There were times when lanes were open. There were times when lanes were closed, is, is, is what I witnessed. So that's, that's true. I never saw any aggression uh, directed from one human being to the next. I never heard anybody speak of any aggression. And I would just say, if, if there were instances where someone demonstrated some aggression towards another person, toward another protester, toward another, toward a police officer, towards some sort of a civil servant, uh, I never saw that. I actually never heard reports of that. Uh, frankly, I, I kind of doubt it. But if there was an expression of aggression here or there, it it was so minute that, frankly, it's it's I find it a little bit disgusting that that would even be highlighted in the report, because the the overall tenure I can tell you this with absolute certainty, even though the report denies this both in Ottawa and perhaps to a lesser degree in Windsor, the the overall mood was peaceful, was celebratory on a certain level, but also was earnest. You know, there's been a lot of coverage about how people were acting when they were at the protest, but what people seem to lose sight of is why were they there? Why were people out of all locations you can be at, at the Ambassador Bridge? A bridge, by the way, which for all intents and purposes had been closed to the vast majority of the public time and time and time again under lockdown. We need to stress that. A bridge that had been closed time and time and time again for months on end by the officials and then opened and then closed and opened and then closed. But the reason why protesters were there, listen to this carefully, is because they themselves were not allowed to cross it. They were locked into their own country. It was a symbolic gesture. And frankly, I find it repulsive that individuals who were permitted by the state to cross the bridge would chastise those that were inappropriately excluded from crossing the bridge for protesting at the bridge. That needs to be brought back into the narrative. So it is true that the bridge was, was open and closed. The protesters I spoke with were willing to open lanes if officials would just come out and talk to them, which they never did. So um, it's important to understand that the, the local officials never came and spoke to the protesters to the best of my knowledge. They never had any, any conversations with them at all. And to the best of my knowledge, until the police showed up in force and formed that line in the early hours of that morning to push protesters out, to the best of my knowledge, no police officer ever even asked a protester to leave the area. And in fact, I actually spoke with one of the ranking police officers on site and I asked that question, why, why this big police presence, when at the time there might have been, I think maybe 35 people on site, why this big police presence when you've never even bothered asking these guys to leave? And I think they would have been willing to leave if they'd have been asked. In fact, when the police lined up and and they were asked to leave, I would say the vast majority of vehicles, at least at the foot of the bridge, immediately moved out. So didn't see any aggression. I'd put my hand in the Bible uh, to swear that fact. Um, the bridge, 
lanes were open and closed at various points in time. So there's there's some factuality in that uh, report about Windsor, and, and, and I do believe there's some inaccuracies. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really interested, Dr. Rock, on what you kind of wanted to highlight about this situation, um, about the fact that it seems as though there's this wild double standard at play here that the government can inappropriately um, remove people's civil liberties, that they can <laughs> stop them from freely coming and going uh from the country and that's just automatically presupposed to be legitimate and good. Um, but if, um, anybody that were a concerned citizen would block the, the border that it would be seen as this treasonous act of, of some sort. And, um, I'm very intrigued with the fact that, um, it seems that from what I've been able to ascertain in the report that the blockade of the Windsor, uh, the bridge was really kind of a catalyst to getting um, American officials involved in the situation and putting pressure on the Canadian feds to the point where they were saying, Hey, this could really affect our relationship with one another. This is the most uh, important bridge uh, in Canada as far as trades concerned. So you guys better deal with the situation. And it seems like the province and really the feds, despite all their lying, um, they were kind of unconcerned about, invoking the emergency act until there was pressure put on the situation because the ambassador bridge there. But it's interesting to me. And I think you make this point clear that our government can destroy our economy for two years by its overweening COVID lockdown policies. But the second that um, you get people who are frustrated over the continued lockdowns and mandates pushing back and, you know, doing a symbolic blockade of the bridge, all of a sudden, our government officials are immediately worried about GDP and trade relationships and the economy. So maybe maybe you can talk a little bit about the double standards that 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 entails, because I do think that's been largely missed in the whole conversation as it pertains to the subject. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, we we do believe that authority is mandated by God. God God has put various institutions in place. We do believe that in a properly ordered society, there should be a civil government in place that is rewarding the righteous and penalizing the, the evildoer. Romans 13 teaches that pretty clearly. But I'm not seeing a whole lot of benevolence, and I haven't seen a whole lot of benevolence in the lockdowns. The lockdowns uh, have largely been dictated by one establishment within uh, civil society, and that is the medical establishment, and tied to them the pharmaceutical establishment. There was really no real consideration for the uh, spiritual costs, the social costs, the mental costs, or the economic costs of endless lockdowns. It was a a, a very... Uh, very singular focused response, protect biotic health at all costs. And even among the medical professionals that were consulted, it's, it's noteworthy to mention that it was the statist technocratic medical establishment that was consulted. Whenever 
a physician or health practitioner outside of the technocracy would stand up and push back against a narrative or question the epidemiological response, they were, they were ostracized or penalized or canceled in some way, shape or form. So we know that that, that all happened. That, that's a matter of, of, of public record. And so we went through endless lockdowns. The businesses that had problems getting across the Ambassador Bridge during the protest, these same businesses had problems getting across the Ambassador Bridge during lockdown number one, lockdown number two, lockdown number three, which didn't last for a, a week on end. They lasted for months on end. There was all sorts of economic devastation, which we're going to be paying for probably for generations. So we have all of that going on. And then we have this, this arbitrary uh, penalty placed upon unvaccinated truckers, primarily truckers, or cross-border commuters, many of whom previously had been labeled essential workers or, or heroes in society for keeping supplies flowing back and forth across the border. And then when the tide changes and they're, 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 they're expendable, suddenly, suddenly they're they're not allowed to cross cross the bridge and when they when they put their hand up and say actually this is wrong and no one listens they put their hand up again and say over here we're out of work and no one listens and they put their hand up a third time and say no one listens and then out of exasperation decide well we're going to go to the place that we're not allowed to cross and we're going to form a protest in front of it all of a sudden they're the bad guys imagine that and the problem is in a society like ours, the people that have all the power are the politicians. We talk about peaceful protests, but it essentially amounts to nothing. You can protest on, on our terms is the message the government has communicated to Canadians. When you read the, the report that was tabled by the POEC in the back of it. I just have the executive summary here, which is like 260 pages long. <laughs> it's you, one, you, only you, one fifth of that, the, yeah. the five volume yeah. tome. Yeah. I can guarantee you uh, that this justice ruler didn't write the whole thing. Um, so you look at the back of recommendations. There are, what do we have here? 56 recommendations made in the, in the summary conclusion and they they all revolve around unless i've missed one here but fundamentally 99% if not 100% of them all revolve around protecting the government so this doesn't happen again is essentially what the summary is <laughs> form this agency do this study do this research make sure you don't let misinformation and disinformation out through social media all these recommendations are about protecting the establishment <laughs> which is the exact same thing people were protesting and making it bigger. Pro, none of this is pro citizen. Yeah. Where's the recommendation that says maybe you should apologize and reimburse people that lost their livelihood and went bankrupt. For maybe garbage you vaccines that people received for simply trying to attend church. Mm-hmm. So this is a, this is a protectionist document. Mm-hmm. This is a protectionist document with due respect to those who put it together. It's a protectionist document that protects the Trudeau government, that protects the state, gives them a little slap on the wrist once in a while, you know, calls them out for calling us fringe minority. But essentially, it's a protectionistic document. 
And all this, all this serves to do, all this serves to do to the intelligent reader is to actually reinforce the very narrative that protesters were protesting. <laughs> yeah. And well, it redefines it, right? Like you said, it, it, that, that it's only, it's protest only on the terms of our elected officials, but it's, it's worse than that, that it says, if it's not a protest on their terms, it's not even a protest at all. They will call it an occupation or yeah. a siege. So unless it's a protest that they have approved of, then it's not actually a protest. And all of those recommendations don't only protect the state more, but it's going to make the state bigger because you're going to have to have other committees and other plans yeah. and other legislative measures, which is more spending and a bigger government. And so the, the part of the problem was, as Bruce Party likes to say, a, a fully overgrown, fat managerial state is part of the part of the problem we're in. And so the solution is, well, let's just do more and spend more and make it bigger so that this doesn't happen again. But that's been our issue is that that, that, that problem is why we're here. And so it, it, it is an exacerbation of the issues and they admit as much in the actual document, which is it's troubling that that's the case. And they're open about it. They're brazen about the fact that they don't think they did anything really wrong and they just want more money and power to make sure that the not wrong thing doesn't happen again. And and when you talk about protectionism, Aaron, <laughs> anybody looking at this conclusion understands that that is exactly what Rulo is doing. He was trying to uh, protect the government from what I think an accurate reporting and, and a measured response based off of the actual threshold of the EA would have meant. Because I think it was clear to anybody who watched those um proceedings as public hearings that they so blatantly <laughs> did not meet that threshold, even by their own evidence from their expert witnesses from CSIS, OPP, all those things. So he really essentially on the thinnest of readings said that based off of the perceived threat and kind of vague instances of violence that they were um, justified in using the act. But I think everybody can really see through what was going on. And it was a decision not based in justice, wanting to see justice being done, but again, to protect the institutions at play here. And that is part of the problem. Not to mention the fact there's no solution granted to the citizen. So if, if, mm -hmm. if we're not allowed to protest unless the government approves it and they don't they at that point in time they didn't approve any protest because you're locked down what are we supposed to do have zoom protests are we supposed to have text messaging protests so when you lock a citizenry down for three consecutive lockdowns totaling months and months and months on end and they say you know what we're actually coming out of our houses and we're going to protest at the nation's capital and by the way i would remind everyone that lives in ottawa you live in the nation's capital. That's our city. That doesn't belong to the former mayor of Ottawa. That's our city. I have the right to go to Ottawa whenever I want because it's our city. You're not living in Windsor. You're not living in Barrie. You're living in the nation's capital. And frankly, you know, I, it, was, uh, it was completely inappropriate 
for the mayor of of Ottawa and for the citizens to constantly remind protesters, you're in our city, you're in our city, you're in our city. If you want to live in downtown Ottawa, you're living in Canada's city. And what I would have liked to have seen is all the residents of Ottawa come out and stand with the protesters and say to the government en masse, this has to end, to stand with one another instead of taking sides with the government. So there's lot, lots, lots that can be said there, but um, this, this document and this response, I think is dangerous because what it essentially does to the citizen, I'll just say it this way, what it essentially does to the citizen is it just says to us, sit down and shut up, mm. do what we tell you mm -hmm. on our terms when we want. And if you don't do what we tell you, we're going to crack the whip and use a long arm of the uh, long arm of the law in whatever way we can to uh, to subvert any dissent. And more broadly, that's what we've seen against churches, right? Do what we tell. That's what we've seen in the last three years. Do what we tell you, or else you'll be punished for it. Why don't you just be like all the other people who are listening to us? And then when you bring your charter challenges will find that even if your rights were violated, it doesn't matter because given section one, it was legitimate or mm -hmm. you keep your restaurant open and what's going to happen. Well, we'll just sick the, we'll sick the, we'll sick the uh, alcohol and gaming commission on you. They'll get rid of your license and we'll basically fine you into oblivion. And so the last three years has been in all these spheres in schools and businesses and churches, the state who's grown fat and tried to swallow all these other spheres within itself has said, we're God we're going to tell you what to do. And if you don't do what we tell you, we'll punish you for it. So it would be better for you to listen to and obey us like all these other really good citizens. And the point about the citizens of Ottawa not speaking out, again, this was every sphere. Where were all the teachers speaking out against putting muzzles on kids' faces? Where were all the pastors speaking out about people who were forced to stay home? Where were all the business owners speaking out against the small businesses that were being crushed. They were, they were nowhere to be found. And so maybe this, you know, this, this question has, that I'm going to ask you is related to this because we've seen the response from the general population. We've clearly seen the response from the state that demands obedience under the threat of punishment. But what are we to, to understand? What are we to take away when we think about Canada more broadly, about this report, about the response, about the conclusions, what does this mean for our country? What what kind of situation are we in? Where are we going? How are we to understand this report and its implications for us from a true and biblical worldview perspective? Well, I, th I think we need to see in the report the the worldview, the ideologies that are being promoted here. And, you know, we, we talk about, we use the word woke often, which sort of captures the this the the culture wars the left the left leaning uh, issues of the day. I mean the LGBTQ issues, the the fake racism issues, the the, um, uh, the the globalist issues, and on and on and on that are being discussed and being promoted in our our public institutions. This this document. One of the things I was thinking about when I was skimming through this document is how much of that woke agenda, how much of that that godless, anti-theonomic agenda 
it has infected every level of our society. So let me give a couple examples of this. I, I, I printed this off, the executive summary, and I just put a few uh, tabs uh, throughout the document of comments that piqued my interest. And there's a comment on uh, page 54 where the, the commissioner says, I also heard evidence of homophobic and transphobic slurs being directed at residents and of racialized residents feeling targeted. That's interesting. Well, why not say, I heard evidence of some um, people being sworn at. I, I heard evidence of uh, people being treated inappropriately. By the way, I'd like to see that evidence. I'd like to see the video footage of that evidence. But notice that the specific issues he focuses in on here are the ones that everyone's talking about in culture that the progressive left is promoting. Like you can't turn one way or the next without hearing a teacher or university professor or now a judge bringing back into the, the forefront of the conversation this the homophobic rhetoric, the transphobic rhetoric, the, 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 the racialized rhetoric. We, have, we obviously uh, would not advocate for someone mistreating another person or threatening another person, but it strikes me as like, how is this relevant to the, to, the, to the freedom convoy in Ottawa? Because when I was in Ottawa, and I have photographic evidence of this, I, I had pictures with people of all different skin tones and all different backgrounds and different religions from, from all different countries of the earth. And this, this particular document, you know, it, it, it sort of, it, it sort of is bent in the direction of that, that white supremacy narrative, that, that anti-Christian narrative it goes on to talk about, Residents saw symbols of hate in their community, including swastikas and the Confederate flag. Oh, really? How about the 4,000 Canadian flags you also saw from the Patriots that participated in, in that event? Um, there's another comment, if I could find it here, uh, in the document that is just an example of a I think it um, a desire to sort of frame the narrative in a, in a specific way. The commissioner, and again, to the best of my knowledge, he wasn't on the ground participating as an eyewitness. He makes this um, he makes this judgment. This is on page one thirty nine. At the same time, I do not accept the evidence espoused by the organizers that they were never aware of harassment, intimidation, or other non peaceful conduct by protesters. Oh, really? So you're calling me a liar? because I never saw any of that. And we could have sworn affidavits probably from thousands of people that would swear to the fact that they also never saw harassment or intimidation or non-peaceful protesters there. I didn't see any of that. Did you guys see that? I didn't see that. I mean, by if, and, if by harassment you mean they kept... They kept putting all this French toast and coffee and donuts in my face, and they kept saying, like, "If by harassment you mean, if by harassment you mean being hugged by complete strangers in, with Canadian flags who were crying while they were dancing because every corner had a different truck with speakers and different music playing, 
then sure, that would I guess yeah. that would be the only kind of harassment that I saw, which is being loved yeah. by strangers and 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 offered more hats and hand warmers than I can count. Yeah, that was the assault. It, it really it really causes you to lose trust in the establishment. You, you literally you could have thousands of sworn affidavits. All kinds of people were were in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. They would swear they never saw harassment, they never saw intimidation or hatred. And this guy says, I don't believe it. Mm -hmm. Really? Were you there? <laughs> I'll give you another one here. This this is this is sad and hilarious at the same time. Okay, think about this. We're in a culture where it's okay for little kids to have their genitals cut off if they want to identify with some newfangled gender that they've concocted. It's okay for drag queens to twerk in front of kids in our public institutions. It's okay to expose children to every godless, heinous ideology out there. But this is what he says. I heard evidence of protesters bringing young children to protests in Ottawa, Windsor, and Coots. Oh, can you imagine that? How terrible for parents to, to bring their kids down for hot dogs to wave Canadian flags, to say, we actually want to promote the freedoms that my great-grandfather died for in France, that your great-great-grandfather died for in France. We want to promote that. He goes on to say, children may have been used to prevent police enforcement. Okay, that, that is complete. Here's the theological word for that. That's bunk. <laughs> in, in, the, in the Greek and in the Hebrew, yeah, in, the Greek and in the Hebrew and in the Aramaic. But right. Aaron, to your point, though, no, they don't. But the question that is sad and hilarious. But the reason is they don't want our kids there because they don't want us teaching our kids the importance of civic responsibility, mm -hmm. that Christians need to be engaged in the cultural political sphere. They don't want us teaching our kids about real justice, mm -hmm. about accountability among elected officials. They don't want us teaching our kids the history of our country. They, yeah. want, it, they want us to teach our kids a skewed, distorted history of of white colonialists who came here and just slaughtered all the indigenous people and established their Christian white supremacist nationalist country. They don't actually want us to teach our kids and train them and equip them to think objectively and rationally and to understand truth in history and civics. Mm -hmm. What they really want is they want to brainwash our kids to think that tranny stuff is normative <laughs> and that we need to hate our own country and ourselves because the three of us are a bunch of cisgender white christian heterosexual males and so yeah. they want us they want our kids to think we're the problem you know did yeah, you see the the video um when rulo actually like when he when he read his finding have you seen that video no so he started yeah, off matt and i've talked about this already he started off before he read his thing he said to your point about the woke beast having devoured all of it he started off by saying we just i want to acknowledge that we are having this meeting upon the historic land of this particular tribe. Yeah, yeah right. he started off by saying, just so we all well, know, we're all on stolen land. Yeah. Um, now let's give the report. That, and that's, that was how that's, he started. That's Marxist post-colonial theory in praxis right there. Like, that's what that is. It's all just wrapped up there. And that's when they use the word racialized, right? That grand conspiracy theory, Andrew, that you just laid out, that's... That's why they use this past tense of a verb, because we set up this 
a Judeo-Christian civilization set up this grand white supremacy hierarchy. It's all racial minorities in the country have been racialized. That's what lays there in that one word. That's that whole theory in one word. And that's the presupposition that Aaron's getting at. And I'm struck, Andrew, by the fact that you guys talk about People were there waving Canadian flags. The reason they're so upset about that, and they still ban Canadian flags on Parliament Hill to yes, this day. Do. I was um, there on Saturday. You yeah. cannot have a Canadian flag waving around on Parliament Hill. Yeah, They still ban it to this day. It's because that's no longer the flag of our nation. And we've talked about this on the program before. The new flag of Canada is the pride progress flag. And if you had flown that flag the government would have had nothing to say to you, but you didn't fly the right flag because there's been a cultural revolution that's taken place in our country and the neo-Marxists are in control and you see it evident in decisions like this, though buried, yes, the presuppositions that Rulo is working on is so clearly uh, neo-Marxist, it's insane. Well, you look at the, you look at the, the anecdotal uh, evidence that they use to try to build this fear narrative in order to justify the invoking of the Emergencies Act. And they're using guys like Pat King as the, you know, the arc, the archetype protester. I mean, obviously you're gonna get thousands and thousands of people in an area. You're gonna get some oddballs. You're gonna get some people saying things that the average person very much disagrees with. But to make it as simple as simple can get, the reason why these protests took place in all of those lo these locations is because the government was tyrannizing its people. They were telling them you can't worship, you can't go to funerals, you can't work, you can't go to church. It's as simple as that. Yeah. You can't it's leave your country. country. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's as simple yeah. as that. Yeah. And, and I love I love how the, though they tried to nut pick with King, especially even Rouleau, it has to be super measured in his comments because he's like, oh, there's actually good evidence that they found or the the protest organizers didn't really want him involved. And they were really trying to tell him to cool his jets. And they over and over again expressed how they wanted the entire protest to be peaceful and everything. So even in his supposed not picking he had to he couldn't just come out and say it because it's just factually not true right so mm -hmm. interesting stuff so aaron what do we like okay so you have grandkids now <laughs> so you're you're seeing the world differently obviously very similar but i've heard from a number of men who love the lord that once they have grandkids they 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 start to see the world in the future just a little bit differently Right. Your kids are about a half a generation or a generation younger than me. And your grandkids, again, would probably be about half a generation younger than my kids. And so you're thinking about things differently than you were just a couple years ago, because you see now in the faces of your grandkids, people who will be in their 40s and 50s. You know, you and I, we might be gone at that point. So what do we what are we to do as 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 Christians? I mean, people who watch our show, there's kind of the broad freedom movement. But at the end of the day, if you, you know, if you don't reproach this, if you don't understand how to operate from a biblical perspective, you're building on sand. It's arbitrary. You don't have anything. Now, we would welcome the non-Christians to join us, but we need to ground our action on what is true objectively. So with that worldview in mind, 
what do we do? What do we, how are we to operate moving forward now in, in our country? Sure. Well, obviously there's, there's sort of two, two major categories for us to have this conversation in. We want to bring reform to our nation. We want to see God's supremacy acknowledged, not just on some document as the header of a, a charter. We want to see God's laws, God's person acknowledged. And because he is a benevolent and loving and good God, whenever his laws and person are acknowledged, nations are blessed. People only benefit from that. He's not a, he's not a cosmic killjoy. He's not a tyrant God. He, when we obey him, life just gets a whole lot better. And so we want to see the civil government and in fact, all spheres of society surrender themselves to the will of the Lord. And so in terms of how that happens, well, obviously we didn't get here overnight. So Christians have to stop thinking we're going to fix all this through one protest or, you know, a couple, a couple years of uh, political activism or a couple sermon series. We have to think long term. And one of the most strategic things you can do is yes, continue to influence and teach and correct and instruct the current generation. Continue to do that. But focus a lot of your time on the next generation. Make sure that we're teaching our children these things in advance. Make sure that we, we, are, we are taking full responsibility, for example, for the education of our children. This is why we, we need to see across our country solid Christian schools popping up everywhere so that we can educate the next generation. The, the next generation, they're gonna be the lawyers, they're gonna be the, 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 the judges. Uh, they're they're gonna be those running for office. So we need, we need to do that. We need to educate, educate, educate. And we need to think long-term. We need to extricate ourselves as much as possible from being tyrannized by the system. So we need more Christian entrepreneurs. If you're an entrepreneur, start a business yesterday and employ like-minded people. Uh, we need to start financial systems. We need to build beachheads in our in our provinces to, to help protect people from, you're never gonna be fully protected, but to help to protect people from things like having their mortgages canceled or their insurance canceled or their, their jobs closed down because they're so tied into the system. So there's some practical things we need to do there. And running Christians for, for political office it's, it's, it's critical. Christians, for, for the most part, just steer clear of it because they think there's no point. Well, there is a point. Politics isn't the ultimate solution, but it's part of rebuilding culture. So there's all of that. And then the other thing I would say is this is a great time to be a Christian because when the church is persecuted, and it has been, when the church is persecuted, when good people are commanded to do what to not do what God has commanded them to do, like not worship, not work, not ordain, not offer the holy kiss, not meet, when good people are told they cannot do what God has commanded them to do, it really forces you to take stock of who's your daddy? Is Jesus Christ King of Kings and Lord of Lords, or is he not? And it forces you to think through these issues. And what I've seen is many that I thought would stand have fallen and need to repent. And there's joy in repentance, by the way, not humiliation, but joy. 
And then the second thing would be um, to just look around you and see the big picture. God is God is leading people to himself all over our country. You know, we we've we've had all kinds of people come to faith in Jesus Christ directly as a result of the circumstances around us. So while we want to analyze and express our our righteous anger and our concern at what's taking place by the tyrants and the godless ideologues in our culture, we also want to take time to praise and worship God that he's doing an amazing thing. We need to be part of that. We need to preach the full gospel, the full Mm -hmm. gospel into all spheres of life and worship loud and worship big because God's doing an amazing thing. And as much as in my humanness, I can't stand a lot of the stuff that's taking place. I also think it's an incredible time to be a Christian. And it's our privilege to live at such a time as this. Mm -hmm. I I hope people are encouraged by that because I I am more days than not. Mm -hmm. Isn't it good to, you know, it's... (laughs) It feels, and I don't want to use the word feels, it is a good thing to love the Lord, to be a part of his kingdom people, and to be where the fight is. Mm-hmm. I think that's something we've, 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 we've come to realize in the last number of years, that, well, what happens when persecution comes, and what happens when it really becomes costly to follow Christ? And I think we've realized, because we've been able to make it out of the last number of years, relatively unscathed i think we realize it is a good thing it is a it is a it enjoyable not in the not in the sadomasochistic way but enjoyable because we he what does the scripture say you've you've trained my hands for war mm-hmm. you've taught me how to pull back the bow you give me the feet that i might the feet of the deer that i might stand on the side of the cliff like it is a good thing to be where the fight is when yeah. our when we are indeed helping to advance the kingdom of god as the church is being built and as all things are being brought under the Lordship of Christ. This is why we had you on, Aaron. I, but the reality is, indeed, it, 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 we're thinking through how do we how do we weave these issues of the political stuff, but then how are we supposed to understand them from a worldview that is Christian and, and how to move forward? Um, Matt and I thought we couldn't think of a whole lot of other people that would be able to, to weave that together for us like you. So mm-hmm. we really appreciate you joining us on the, on the dispatch. I'm, I'm, confident that our discussion will be encouraging and a blessing to many in our audience who who watch it or who listen to it so thank you well thanks andrew and thanks matta i love you guys and keep up the good work <laughs> love you too brother thanks for coming on. thanks man at bull bitcoin security and privacy are a priority customers funds are transferred directly to their bitcoin wallet in their own possession with bull bitcoin you never run the risk of losing your money you own the money Sign up at mission.bullbitcoin.com slash LCC and get started with your accounts creation today. Contact Bull's best in the business customer support team at any point to request assistance throughout the process. Take control of your money. Mission.bullbitcoin.com slash LCC. Can I just finish there? Yep. Then we're right into Aaron. Then we'll, we'll be you and I right into Aaron. And then do we want to, do we want? Well, Andrew, I'm so thankful that uh, Tabitha and Aaron have come on to the program to help us digest these things. Because we have a lot of feelings. We're still working through these things. I know each and every one of us is thinking through the ramifications of what's taken place. And, you know, I, there's been a lot of discussion in our, in our um, area, in, in our circles, Andrew, 
about what is the appropriate way to react to government overreach, them trampling our civil liberties. And I think we have to ask that question again in light of what's going on. Um, You and I, Andrew, were on the front lines here. We're fighting the battle in Canada. (laughs) But I do just want to give for our listeners just some food for thought. Um, We've talked about Protestant resistance theory, how that actually pertains to an understanding of Romans 13, stuff like that on the program. Um, Also, traditionally, Protestants throughout history have laid out a framework of civic engagement. And I think this is really what I want to kind of just bring before people's minds at this current time, because these are serious conversations that we have to keep on having. Essentially, the three steps to civic engagement um, are as follows. So a a redress of grievances. So protesting, um, pushing back against the government, getting involved in government to try and change and shape the 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 outcomes of government, you know, just through political engagement, ordinary political engagement. That is step one, right? That's always the first step that we're getting into. So Christians getting active in politics, um, Christians, you know, on mass demonstrating or protesting like we saw with the convoy. That's one. If that is not available, step two, as historically laid out by Protestants down through the ages, is fleeing. If you can no longer redress grievances or actively shape the course of government in your country, then fleeing becomes an option. Um, Now, throughout Protestant history, that's looked like fleeing for a period until it's safe to return, then going back and ministering in that community. That's generally how things have been done. Um, Because fleeing doesn't necessarily mean abandoning the fight. It, It means a strategic retreat oftentimes. But then third, if none of those things are possible, so if it's not possible to redress grievances if or protest, as we're seeing, it's becoming less and less possible. Um, if you can't flee, um, then that would be, it's only under those two extreme circumstances, then armed resistance would be a thing hist- historically in the Protestant movement. So I just want to lay out that phrase, framework for people to think about do i think it's going to be people are going to be at different spots where they think we are in canada and i'm going to leave that to people's conscience i think it's very clear that we're not all the way down to step three but i do think andrew this is a dangerous though it's not a legal precedent though it's an extrajudicial case as tabitha you know uh she balanced our concerns about it. Um, I do think it is indicative of where Canada is as it, it, it pertains to redresses of grievances. So I just want to lay it out that framework for people to think through. I think it's a helpful thing to think through. Um, and I, I'll leave it up to people's consciences to decide where we are at and and what would be appropriate for their own families, their own churches, things like that. But I did kind of want to give that, Andrew. And, you know, you and I are in the position where we're still here. We're in for the fight. That's kind of what we've discussed. But I, I thought it would be helpful to think through that issue. Yeah, I um, 
So, you know, the, it's it's been an emotional week for me. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's been, you know, just difficult to process. Being back in Ottawa again on Saturday, hanging out with Josh Alexander, his brother, and Monty, being able to interview them and just talk with people. Actually, had at least one really neat couple. There were teachers, retired teachers, came up to me. Everyone was going up to Josh. He was a celebrity. Oh, thank you so much. Hugs and pictures. And I'm like, I'm great to just observe. He's obviously at the tip of the spear in another way. I had one older retired couple come up to me. It was fitting, of course, the old retired couple. <laughs> they, they said they're so thankful for the show and for watching it. And we got into a really good discussion about what's going on in schools and the education system. And it was it was informative. I was thankful for it. it, was, it it's been an emotional time leading up to the one year anniversary of this ending. Um, you know, it's 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 made me even more reflective than normal, mm. um, trying to think about what's going on and. You know, some of the some of the takeaways in terms of worldview takeaways, uh, kind of mindset takeaways. It's clear, Matt, it is clear Mm -hmm. that we live in a world where a very large portion of Canadians have been so brainwashed and so deceived by the garbage coming from the legacy media, which is the propaganda arm of the state Mm -hmm. that they see a completely different Canada than it really is that our country is basically two groups of people that see completely different countries. Mm -hmm. And Tabitha was talking about this as well. Even, even Aaron, Aaron's been clear that what they were saying about what was happening at Windsor is not what was happening at the ambassador bridge. He was there. Mm -hmm. He lived his church is 10 minutes from the ambassador bridge. And he's right there in the midst of it. It's interesting, Andrew, despite so despite their, I think, over exaggeration of what took place in a lot of these events, even despite all that, the conclusion was so thin, right? right? Like, like they had to overblow and exaggerate all these things to create a narrative that then acted as the predicate to just on the thinnest read possible. (laughs) <laughs> you, you know, come to this conclusion. It just registered enough to get it. So we, yeah, yeah, we we live in a world where the people you talk to about the convoy, the mandates, the effectiveness of the jabs, the masks, all that stuff. These people, they are not just fighting for a position they know is fallacious. Mm-hmm. They're deceived. Yeah. I mean, they're they're. They are not the same people we knew three years ago. Their brains have lit. There are, there are studies that show that the free-floating fear and anxiety over and over again will actually map out new neural pathways in the brain, that brain activity is different. I mean, th- these are not the same people. Fear has changed their brain chemistry. Propaganda has changed their brain chemistry. They really believe that this is the country we live in. So we need to be honest about the fact that we don't have the common ground. We need to keep hopefully bombarding them with truth in a loving, kind, honest, and direct way. But they really, exists. really believe that this is where we're we're at. That many people actually believe that what we're about to show you is it's an accurate true. description uh. of what went on during the convoy and the in, what were the honest intentions of the organizers. Now I'll say before we play this, if you have a weak stomach and you are prone to vomiting <laughs> or seizures, 
sit down and have a bowl beside you because this is one of the grossest things I have heard in the last three years. You've been warned. What the organizers, the central organizers, made it very clear what their goal was. Their goal <laughs> no. was to overthrow the government. They didn't hide that. They stated it very boldly on a website. They've repeated it in, in, in numerous press conferences. They wanted to overthrow a dem democratically elected government with a committee of their own choosing. I mean, it was very clear what their goal was. And the fact that policing and other levels, other security forces were colluding with these folks is deeply concerning. Like their goal was not uh, an innocuous goal. Their goal was to overthrow government um, and to replace it like a, in a fascist way without having any elections. Ah, there's the good Marxists. <laughs> I, so dude, dude it, we, no, I have to say something. Because that is absolutely not like Jake Meat is showing his hand. He didn't read the report. He didn't even read the executive summary. He was never in Ottawa. Because <laughs> you, you have to understand that is not the conclusion that the report comes to. It, it, even Rouleau in his idiocy and in, in his conclusion said that it was not that the, that the he over and over and over again. The, the reality of the situation that Rouleau has to admit is that it was an organically spontaneous protest that caught fire because of the COVID lockdowns and restrictions, that there was various groups with various different motives, and that that was never seriously the objective of the convoy. In fact, the only thing that tied this disparate group of people together, as we've made mention when we we're talking to Tabitha, was the fact that they were sick of government trampling on their civil liberties mm -hmm. and through throughout the two years of the COVID pandemic. That is the tie that binds what he just said is an insane leftist conspiracy theory and just like any good fascist or, or any good fascist well he's more of a fascist than the people he accuses of being fascist but any good marxist they say oh this is a fascistic overthrow of government but they believe capitalism so-called free market exchange is the product of fascism so that shows shows you their level of standard for for what they consider fascism um it, we should also point out this is the same guy who peddled this insane russian collusion conspiracy theory right. as a justification for b bill c11 to take effect in canada because we government the liberals needed... aren't being strong enough yes that's what he yeah. said and then in the irony of all ironies, Andrew, irony of I, irony. Sorry. Someone is at the front doorbell. Sorry. It's the government. Yeah. <laughs> I got to I got to wrap up real quick. Um, in the irony of all ironies, Andrew, a week later after he made those comments, so it might have even just been a day or two. They literally came out with a huge report showing that all, all the narrative surrounding Russian collusion was so drastically over-exaggerated that it, it's beyond you know, even stating. It's, it's such a crazy conspiracy theory that it was not worthy of the attention that it got. And yet this man who's saying that there's this sort of 
conspiracy to overthrow the government that there's not and the the report doesn't suggest there is he's forwarding these conspiracy theories and that's the crazy part we're the ones who are objectively looking at the law the standards the things that actually took place on the ground we're the conspiracy theorists but he's actually the conspiracy theory theorists and this is just another wonderful example of the um, iron law of woke projection but i don't think he believes that matt i really i don't think he actually believes that i think he i don't think he believes that that's what was going on i think he knows that's what he needs to say to to blame the discussion that i believe he hates he hates everything that canada stands for Mm -hmm. he hates western civilization and western culture and he hates the freedoms and liberties and foundation that make our country great one sec okay so matt i i don't think oh that's too close hold on there we go my (laughs) mic's let's let's try that again so matt i don't i don't think he actually believes that to be honest with you i i don't think he believes that 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 was the intention of the organizers i think he knows what was going on but i think he's specifically using this inflammatory false narrative to drive an agenda I believe that he hates Canada and all that it stands for. He hates Western culture and Western civilization. He hates the freedoms and liberties and foundations of what make our country what it is. And in prime Marxist deconstructionist fashion, he wants to tear down the systems that exist. And he wants to see Canada turn into this utopia that exists in his mind. But I don't think he believes that. I don't think he actually believes what he said there, but he's using that kind of language in order to anger Canadians, in order to further the divide and further the wedge so that Canada can be torn down and then rebuilt in his image. So that, and here's the problem. He doesn't believe that. I don't think he actually believes that. He's just saying that. The problem is that there are people that do believe that though. There are people who hear this rhetoric from people like him, from the legacy media, from our prime minister, who actually believe that that's what's going on and they continue. So there's there was a, an Angus Reid poll that it was released two weeks ago. The poll was taken in December of 2022. This poll found that 51% of Canadian respondents said convoy protest posed a threat of espionage sabotage foreign influence serious violence or an overthrow of the canadian government 51 percent half of all canadians said that the war measures act was needed to clear the protesters apparently that half of canada didn't view a single ounce of the public order emergency commission and didn't listen to the testimony so here you have half of canada saying it was a threat we needed the act even though all the evidence was to the contrary why why would they believe that because and i'll preface this by saying one of the things that's been said about us is our strong inflammatory language (laughs) jagmeet singh is a despicable disgusting vile evil awful sinful wicked man Mm -hmm. who should be thrust out of office by his constituents Mm-hmm. because he desires to tear down all that makes Canada great and dismantle all the vestiges of Western culture. 
And so he pushes his false satanic lie so that half of Canadians are deceived. Mm -hmm. And that's why we live in the country we live in right now, where we, we live in a country that is two different Canada's depending on who you speak Almost to. Almost literally. Canada that's reality. Half, right? Yeah, there's a Canada that's the reality that we live in. And then there is this Marxist utopia version of Canada or that that's what it needs to become. And so in order to do what needs to happen to get to that point, the version of Canada that's believed by apparently half the country is a fairy tale. It's not real. Thank you to people like Jagmeet Singh for continuing to deceive and brainwash Canadians to believe that it is the Canada we live in. Mm -hmm. and that's, again, the first, that's the first again, real thing we need to take away from this. Again, it needs to be pointed out. 51 of people, percent of people responding to this, their feelings apparently are higher than CSIS's standard as it right. pertains to threats to Correct. national security. So subjective. It's the subjective though, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's that's the first little bit by way of takeaway. The second bit by takeaway, which is um equally depressing if I might say so, is that our current political system and essentially all those in power, all of those people who are in a position to really make decisions to enact legislation my contention is they are either evil and corrupt WEEF puppets or they're cowardly fake conservatives who basically look, they're basically liberals in blue that want to spend less. And as Aaron Rock had, would say, just pump the brakes into utter devastation. So here <laughs> is an example because you're going to, if this question was asked to someone, for example, like Maxime Bernier or someone like Randy Hillier, mm -hmm. and they were, and the question was, and this, and this question or was Ron asked DeSantis. Them, or Ron DeSantis yeah. or Rick Nichols, whatever. Yeah. If they were asked this question, the answer they would give would be no, I do not go back on what I said, mm -hmm. but watch now, watch the dance. The dance in blue, the devil with the blue dress on, who's going to answer this question. Here's exhibit A of why I think that our political system, it's either WEF puppets or fake opposition. conservatives <laughs> yeah. who are blue liberals. Here's exhibit A. Uh, Justice Rouleau said that he did not accept the organizers' descriptions of the protest as lawful, calm, peaceful, or something resembling a celebration. He wrote that the bigger picture reveals the situation in Ottawa was unsafe and chaotic. Justice Rouleau also found that the federal government's use of the Emergencies Act was justified. Do you accept Justice Rouleau's findings and do you regret endorsing the Freedom Convoy? Well, he should have just said no. Yeah, and that breath and that side, that's all you need to right there. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... So here's the issue. You're, you're going to see him push back. So we have to give him some credit where credit's due. He's going to only not because he doesn't want he doesn't want to alienate his base. He needs to make it seem like he's really for them. But That's yeah, what's going on. so the the problem I'm much is more cynical than you are, Matt. The, That's... The, the, pr the problem is he's not Ron DeSantis at being able to demonstrably speak out and say, no, that's baloney. It's a bad decision. And then take the necessary actions that would be required to combat that situation. He tries to kind of have that flavor, but he 
just won't go all the way and it leaves them in this really awkward spot but here it is first of all you, you your question was typical of cbc bias again you fair, uh, fair. forgot to mention what the report said which is um, more more of an effort should have been made by government leaders at all levels during the protest to acknowledge that the majority of protesters were exercising their fundamental democratic rights what i said before during and after the protest was that i condemn anyone who behaves badly breaks laws or blockades too much critical infrastructure while standing on the side of the hard-working people who have suffered so much uh, under eight years of Justin Trudeau and were desperately trying to have their voices heard against an insulting and divisive prime minister. So that much I agree with. And that, that's where it's kind of tricky because you can see how he's trying to give a good response. But again, just like Danielle Smith, the left says you need to apologize. She's like, OK, I will. He has to measure. He can't just demonstrably say this is baloney. Your media company was a big reason why this the, the the heightened rhetoric in this whole situation took place. Justin Trudeau is a man who never once in good faith came to the table. And they're going to take this as a victory. But really what that decision is, it's it's. It's Justice Rouleau hedging his bets. It's him trying to, you know, split the baby. And it's not based off of objective facts. It's based off of his subjective opinion. And that is something that I'm not going to apologize for supporting Canadian civic rights and their freedoms based off the subjective wins of a retired judge. I'm sorry, I won't do it. That's the response we need from leaders. Mm-hmm. But or, and, again, and that, that was that was a let's be, let's be honest mm-hmm. that was a slimy politically advantageous kind of answer like you can see right away he's going he's trying to go for political points yeah what's the first Hit play CBC. well that that's very that's very cbc of you no, no yeah. for, listen that's not the question the question is and the, the question that was posed to him was one of his own integrity mm-hmm. one of his own character you supported this thing, Polly Ever. You supported the convoy. And now Justice Rouleau has found that the prime minister's use of power was appropriate. So do you still stand by the freedom convoy? He should have said, yes, I do. They were lawfully there. It wasn't what they said. I still support them. But he can't do that. And you know why he can't do that? Because he's concerned about his position and he's playing the pragmatic political move and he's not being a man of integrity. And that's why he and everyone like him and all they represent are utterly useless for real conservatism and freedom in our country. And the whole thing must be abandoned and Lord willing, it will burn to the ground politically. I'm not calling for real violence here, but there will be a political burning to the ground of that blue demon institution, because that is not a, that is not an answer that comes from a principled position of integrity. That is a pragmatic political appease my base but not alienate part of my base that might not agree with me. That was a calculated utilitarian response to the question. What we needed was someone saying, no, I stand by the convoy. 
they were done dirty. That the the mm-hmm. whole thing was lawless, and the 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 POEC was a joke because mm-hmm. no elected official was asked to testify, no constitutional law experts were asked to testify. How about a single person? How about a citizen in Ottawa? Who was there at the convoy every it, single day on the ground? They weren't asked to testify. Andrew, no, Andrew, we should have been honest about that. But he, Andrew, he did. It also has to be pointed out: the Ontario government didn't really participate in the commission. So no, they even did not. even Rouleau said he's making this finding on information, like I- inadequate, incomplete information, because the Ontario government under Ford, again, blue devils, um, uh, they didn't. They didn't uh, go along with the commission. So how can you really adequately make a proper informed decision on the role and responsibility of the provincial government in dealing with these issues um, before it even gets to the invocation of the EA if you don't have the full picture? So it raises a lot of concerns. But again, you can just see the, 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 the machinations working in polyevra's mind right yeah it's not a genuine response it's not out of condition he's already flipping you can see as the questions being asked I, he's I, flipping I, through his book he's like oh i have a good answer for you listen we don't need politicians that are going to give the good answer that are going to need someone who will say and, yeah yeah i don't no 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 it's that is that has failed us yeah. our political our political leaders the people we've elected to represent us they have failed us. They are they are pragmatic. They're about political expediency and be and what is politically advantageous. Mm-hmm. They're concerned about their political careers. And any politician who would speak out actually in defense of their constituents are kicked out of caucus, are censored, are not allowed to actually represent their people. That's that that's what's going on right now. So so that that's the second takeaway that we need to demand new principled politicians you need to stop voting for the parties that tell you if you vote for us we'll help you and we'll blah 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 and you don't want the liberals Mm -hmm. because what have they done nothing we need to start we need to stop voting based on pragmatics we need to stop voting based on what is utilitarian and it's time that we start voting according to our conscience we make principled votes where we vote for people with integrity, people who will actually represent us as our elected officials. If we don't do that, we will see no change. There will be no change in the political system if we don't stop playing the, well, if I don't vote conservative, the liberals will get in. Okay, but there's no difference. I'm sorry. There's no difference. It's time to start voting principled. It's time to start voting for people who will actually do what they say and represent their people well, which is one of the things that we are trying to do. It's our goal here at LCC is not to get certain political parties in power. Mm-hmm. Our goal is not that we're going to be political action groups for the no, no, no. I, one of our goals here is to help train Christians who will engage in politics with integrity. Our goal is to train them and equip them and help them think about biblical principles and politics. So when they run as school board trustee or MPP, or when they run for city council, they're running based on biblical principles, wanting to actually represent their people well and do what is right. We're committed to that. It's time that we need to stop voting in terms of pragmatics and start voting 
principle. That's the second takeaway for us mm -hmm. coming out of this. And the third one is simply this. Support institutions. <laughs> yeah, it is the propaganda of the legacy media and it is the propaganda that we see from our elected officials that are why we're in the position we are and why half of Canadians are utterly deceived about what's going on. That's why we need to exist and that's what we want to do to bring an objective it's biased we have our biases but we want to bring an objective biblically founded view worldview and news analysis on all things canada we want to inform you what's really going on we want to give you the receipts we want to help you understand canada as it is not canada as it has been painted by the marxists and so we need your help to get the truth out from a christian foundation and so we want to, we're going to, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to keep teasing at, we're going to keep telling you about the coalition. We want yes. you to join, join it. the coalition. We are moving to have our club that you can join, our subscription-based club, and we're going to say nothing's changing in terms of the content we bring you. You're going to get all the same shows, all the same stuff. Excellent. But we're going shows. to add, <laughs> it's right, you are going to be getting more shows, more content, extended stuff in the club you're going to be getting and we want it we're going to introduce new daily audio news briefs monday to friday we're partnering with a bunch of friends at carpe fide the ezra institute and resistance coffee company like i said before even though they're closing up shop resistance coffee company is going to be providing everyone who signs up with us in the first few weeks a super duper limited run roast freedom fuel you're only going to be able to get now and never again. And so you please be ready as more information comes out, be ready to join the coalition, support us so that we can keep supporting you so that we can keep informing you so that we can keep doing the work that we're doing to bring you honest news analysis and, and journalism and, and the truth, the truth from a biblical worldview. That's what we want to do here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Well said. Thank you, everybody. It's been an extra long program, but I think given the fact, given the circumstances, it was needed. So yeah, share this, share this with your friends, yes, watch it, please. share with your friends, like, subscribe, comment, mm -hmm. get this out because you're not going to see, you're going to see people on it. Clearly the legacy media is going to have a certain spin, Yeah, but even our other friends in the conservative freedom news movement, they're not going to be bringing this to you from a Christian perspective, from a biblical worldview, from an objective truth standard. So share this out, get this out for people to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you again, everybody, for tuning in. We do appreciate you giving us so much of your time. And uh, we will say God bless. And at the end of every episode, we like to say for freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5.1. Until next time. Thanks for tuning in to Liberty Dispatch, a united front to restore liberty and justice in Canada. Please subscribe to our podcast and Rumble channel, as well as visit our website at www.LibertyCoalitionCanada.com. Friends, we're posting new content multiple times every week throughout our various shows on this channel. So you're going to want to subscribe to it and hit that notification bell. That way you stay up to date with everything 
that we're releasing here with the Liberty Coalition Canada.